This morning the message is entitled Jethro's Visit. Jethro's Visit. And we are going to read the entire chapter of Exodus chapter 18. So open up your Bibles. Let us lean forward in our hearts as we hear the most important words you're going to hear this morning. They're in Exodus 18, second book of the Bible, starting in verse 1. And it says this, reading from the English Standard Version. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, circle father-in-law. See how many times that word pops up in these 27 verses. Heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was help, was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. I wonder what mountain that was. And when he went, and when he sent word to Moses, I, your Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked, don't kiss me, Fernando, okay, bro? Go ahead and bow down to me, but don't kiss, don't kiss me. No way. Kiss Vanessa, not me. And they asked each other about their wel- uh, other, of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, for he has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11. Now I know... We sang about this this morning, folks. Verse 11, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair, they, the Egyptians, dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. Now, this is a key verse here. And I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses said to him, what, he, what you are doing is not good. Now, he didn't mean letting him know the statutes of God. He meant make, wait, making people wait all day to speak to him. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them 
about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, here's key, verse 21. Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God and who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his depart, and he went away to his own country. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this incredible narrative, this historical truth. May it speak to us today that we would honor you, love your word, and diligently listen to it preached, diligently apply it privately, diligently attend home group to apply it in community that you might be glorified, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message is delivered by an unusual messenger. So, I thought I would begin with an illustration of an unusual messenger who delivered an important message in history. By the way, this messenger, Jethro, very unusual. He sort of appears as this priest of Midian. Midian was really not a good people. They would really be Israel's enemies. You'll see that later. And he delivers the message, and then he disappears, much like the ghost of Jacob Marley in Dickens' A Christmas Novel. A snowy, on a snowy Christmas Eve, seven years to the day after the death of his business partner, Jacob Marley, Ebenezer Scrooge and his downtrodden clerk, Bob Cratchit, are at work in Scrooge's counting house. Scrooge's nephew, Fred, arrives with seasonal greetings and an invitation to Christmas dinner. But Scrooge dismisses him with bah humbug, declaring that Christmas is a fraud. Two gentlemen collecting charitable donations for the poor are likewise rebuffed by Scrooge, who insists that the poor laws and workhouses are sufficient to care for the poor, and if they would rather die than go there, then they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. As he and his clerk prepare to leave, he grudgingly permits Cratchit one day's paid holiday the following day, Christmas Day. After dinner, Scrooge returns home to his cheerless rooms in an otherwise deserted mansion. And a series of supernatural experiences begins. His door knocker appears to transform into Marley's face, and a locomotive hearse seems to mount the dark stairs ahead of him. The pictures on the tiles in his fireplace transform into the images of Marley's face. Finally, 
All the bells in the house ring loudly. There is a clanking of chains in the cellar and on the stairs. And the ghost of Jacob Marley passes through the closed door into the room. The ghost points a bony finger and warns Scrooge that if he does not change his ways, he will suffer Marley's fate. He will walk the earth eternally after death, invisible among his fellow men, burdened with chains, seeing the misery and suffering he could have alleviated in his life, but now powerless to intervene. Marley has arranged Scrooge's only chance of redemption. Three spirits will visit him, and they may help change him and save him from his fate. As Marley leaves, Scrooge gets a nightmare glimpse of the tormented souls who drift unseen among the living. And then, shattered, Scrooge falls into bed and sleeps. Well, just as Jacob Marley is an unlikely messenger for Ebenezer Scrooge, so Jethro is an unlikely messenger for Moses. You see, Jethro was a Midianite priest, and the Midianites were not very blessed people. In fact, they were Israel's enemies. Later, we will see that they hire a prophet, a guy named Balaam, to curse Israel. And much later, we will see that they are so tormenting Israel, kind of like the sound is tormenting my ears right now. They so torment Israel that God has to raise up a young judge named Gideon, that's right, I knew you knew that, Wally. Gideon, to rise up and defeat the Midianites. But on this day, a priest of Midian is not defined that way. Yes, he's called the priest of Midian once, but he is called 12 times in 27 verses the of Moses. And therefore gives us a picture, perhaps, of the transforming effects of the gospel and that Jethro is no longer defined as an enemy of God's people, but now related to God's people. Sounds a lot like a foreshadowing of the gospel to me. So on this day, Jethro comes with a message. And what's the message that Jethro brings? Jethro brings this message to you and to me. It's a message of praising God and worshiping God and serving God. You see, Jethro had been living in Midian, which is in the northwest corner of present-day Saudi Arabia. Okay? So if you're looking at a map here, here's Israel, here's the Sinai Peninsula, kind of just up. Saudi Arabia is right here. Iraq's over here. Right in that northwest corner is Midian. Jordan is here. This is where Moses went from Egypt to Midian. So Jacob comes from Midian. And he, he comes because he's heard the news. It's been on Fox News Network. It's been on CNN. It's been on MSNBC. The most powerful nation in the world is no more. Their army was crushed. They all drowned. And a ragtag bunch of slaves was raised up and has become a nation. And he wanted to see for himself. That's what it says there in the first couple of verses of chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So he heard about it. How did he hear about it, guys? 
Come on, think with me. Who was, who was Jethro's daughter? Anybody read ahead? Zipporah, you got it. And what was unique about Zipporah, other than she has a funny name? She's married to someone very important, right? I know, you guys are brilliant here. You figured this out. If Jethro is Moses' father-in-law, that means his daughter probably married Moses, right? Excellent. This is, this is amazing, your abilities, deduction, logic. So Zipporah, Scripture teaches us, probably went back home as the Exodus began. How many months into the Exodus are we at this point? Not quite sure, but maybe three, two and a half, three months. Zipporah probably went home, you know, Moses sent her back to be with daddy. And when she got home, she goes, daddy, you're not going to believe what I saw. And she recounted to her daddy. And her daddy, though a priest of Midian, I believe God's working in his heart. And God brings her daddy really to the light of what God is doing to meet with Moses at the tip of the Sinai Peninsula, probably at Mount Sinai, the mountain. From Midian, he walked there. And so that's how Jethro knows. And so Jethro comes and he calls us to do what God calls us to do. And you can read it for yourself there. God, in this passage, calls us to praise, worship, and serve Him. That's what this passage is about. That's what this passage is about. Now, point number one. To praise God, we must remember His Word. And I would say this to you, that this passage is about the Bible. This passage is about the Word of God. Because this is where God reveals Himself. And Jethro, one of the things that Jethro does in coming is Jethro reminds Moses who God is. Because remember, it was when Moses was with Jethro, when Moses was 80 years old, kind of a broken down shepherd, standing there around the sheep, when boom, the bush lit. Bam, God begins to speak to him. Now that was maybe four, five, six months previous. We don't know exactly. But Moses, in seeing Jethro, immediately remembers... I met God in Midian. Where did you meet God? Here's where we remind you. I met God at the cross. This is God's self-revelation. See, because point one, you have to, to praise God, you have to remember who He is. And Jethro reminded Moses who He is. Not only did Jethro remind Moses who God is, but Scripture tells us who God is. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, it says the following. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Remember, he's in Midian. He's hanging out with Jethro when this happens. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am, Yahweh. The holy name, the covenantal name of God is revealed here. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You see, Jethro reminds Moses of the covenant. He reminds Moses that Abraham was promised to be a blessing to all the nations. 
Yes, the Jews are being constructed into a people, and there's two million of them sitting in the Sinai. Yes, Moses was a broken down shepherd when he left Jethro six months previously, and now he is the leader of the new nation that just defeated the most powerful nation in the world. But oh, remember this, I am calling the Gentiles to myself as well. Jethro is a messenger. The messenger, as much as the message, is important. God wants to bless the nations. He does it through the revelation of himself. Moses' own children, Moses' own children remind him. No time to go into it, but just the name Gershom, his oldest, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And then the name of Eliezer, his youngest, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Jacob. Pharaoh. So can you imagine every time you call, call your children, the God of my father says, my help, he delivered me from the, soul of, from the sword of Pharaoh. The God of my father, Abraham, is my help. He delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. God of my father, Abraham, who delivered me from the soul of Pharaoh. Listen to me. God of my father, Abraham, who delivered me from the soul of Pharaoh. Don't touch that. You know, how many times do you say your children's names? <laughs> and every time he said it, it reminded him not only of who God is, but what God did. Now under point one, that first bullet speaks of Jethro reminding Moses of who God is, and the second bullet, and then Moses reveals to Jethro what God did for Israel. Look at verse 7. Exodus 18.7 in your text there in your Bibles. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Verse 8. Then Moses said to his father-in-law, All that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. So this is a mutual encouragement society. Jethro reminds God, Moses of who God is. Moses then tells Jethro of exactly what God did. So that's the first point. We are called to do that. We are called to remember who God is and remind ourselves of what he did. And this Bible is the primary means of doing it today. Point two. To worship God, we must respond to his word in covenantal sacrifice. Look there at verse 10. What happens after Jethro hears from Moses? The, the account of what God had done. Look at verse 10. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord. This is a pagan saying this. This is a priest of another religion saying this. This is the power of the gospel to save God's enemies. Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Listen, man. Not even the Jews were saying this. What were the Jews saying just earlier? Lord, why'd you bring me here? Lord, weren't there graves in Egypt? Lord, we're going to die here. God brings a pagan, saves him, and says, hey, this is what you should be doing and saying. Isn't that true in this church? I'll tell you, this is true in this church. Some of you who've been saved just recently speak so eloquently to those of us that have been saved so many years. We've become such big, fat Pharisees. And some of the ones that have been saved recently say, who cares if gas is $5 a gallon? God saved me. Blessed be. I'm just so happy to be here this morning. Oops. Oh, Lord, please forgive me. You brought a Jethro into time. Oh, Lord. 
So then he says in verse um, 10, Blessed be the name of the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Look at verse 11. Whew! This is good, man. We sang this this morning. I forget which song it was. I think it was the second or the third song. Who is there like you? There's none. Thank you. Hi, Bubba. In case I didn't tell you this, I'm going to go against what I told you in the email on Friday when I said no ministry song. We're going to do a ministry song. It's going to be that song. Just thought I'd take this chance to, to call a little audible in the hut, you know, at the line of scrimmage, all right? Verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, little G, including the God I used to serve and I used to be a priest of. I'm turning in my priestly garments of the priest of Midian, and I am now a servant of the Almighty God because nobody's like him. Some of you need to turn in your Midianite priestly garments and serve the real God. Because in this affair, they, the Egyptians, dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering. What? What's going on here? A non-Jew is bringing a burnt offering with a bunch of Jews? God, how could you allow this? Because I'm God. (laughs) Because I'm calling all the nations. Because I'm going to bring people in this church that don't look like you, didn't used to worship like you, and they're going to be standing next to you bringing offerings. It's about me, not you. I mean, you know, you know Jethro had a serious accent, right? You're not from around here, are you, Jethro? <laughs> uh, but they, they received him, verse 12. And Aaron came with all the elders, come on, guys, of Israel, to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Boy, that sounds an awful lot like um, communion, maybe, to you and me. Ate bread, covenant meal, covenant name of God covenant ceremony great stuff great great stuff so what does Jethro teach us under point two Jethro teaches us to worship God in response to his redemptive deeds by bringing a sacrifice here's the deal my dear friends God is out to dethrone the imperial self which is you Jesus says if you follow me you will die to yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus says you cannot save your life and follow me. Jesus says you, you, you lose your life. If you lose it, you'll gain it. If you try to save it, you'll lose it. So you know what Jesus says? You bring your sacrifice. Then it ain't a bull. It's you. Climb up on the altar, big boy. Because Romans says we are living sacrifices. So Jethro teaches that if you see what God has done for you and you know who he is, you go ahead and climb up on that, on that altar. And like it says in Mark 8, and Jesus said, whoever follows me must take up his cross. He had just said right before then, Peter, I'm going to the cross. Oh, no, you're not, Lord. Get behind me, Satan. Yes, I am. And if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. And back then, that was crazy talk. Crazy talk. Crosses were the most disgusting symbols People watched other people die on crosses all the time. It was hideous. It would be like today saying, take up your electric chair or your lethal injection and follow me. Are you nuts? No, I'm not nuts. I'm Lord. The imperial self has to die. Don't come here thinking I'm going to make your life better. I'm coming to take over. That is the message. Isn't that a good message? Oh, I think it is. Point three. Thank you for saying amen so strongly, though. Point three. 
Point three. To serve God, which is now the third of the, the three points that Jethro comes to teach us. To praise Him, to worship Him, and then to serve Him. To serve God, we must understand and apply His Word in community. We're going to camp here, dear ones. We're going we're to pitch our tents right here. And we're going to talk about the fact that Moses makes God's laws, I'm reading from your notes, and statutes known to Israel. Now where does it say that? Alright, let's go jump over here. Remember Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is observing Moses do something. Pick it up with verse 13 of Exodus 18. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. Verse 14, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he sees it. He's saying, hey, what are you doing? Verse 15, Moses then said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Verse 16, when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Now, reading now the, the quote in your notes under point three, first bullet point. Moses makes God's laws and statutes known to Israel. This is the primary way a leader serves God's people. He brings God's word to them along with discernment in how to apply it. So, thank you for being here this morning. The primary way that I serve you is to open this up and to bring it to you so that you can discern how you should live. Very, very biblical. Very important function of a leader. Very, very important function of a leader. Now the second bullet point. From Alec Motyer. The task of Moses was not to innovate, but to teach and warn the people by throwing light on what the Lord had revealed. You see, folks, Moses' call was to teach the people the statutes and laws of God in order to lead them to obedience and wise living. Moses is a preacher, not of his own ideas, but of the divine will. He's not simply a judge in civil cases. No, 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 that's not what's going on here. He is a mediator, not primarily between man and man, but between Israel and God. Do not mistaken this for a backlog in the courts of Miami-Dade County to prosecute your lawsuit against someone else. No, 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 no. That's not Moses' job here. Moses' job is saying, I am an arbiter. I am a go-between. I am an intercessor between you, Israel, and God. I'm letting you know what God thinks. And you had better obey. You see, Moses was to teach or warn them about God's statutes. This word here, statutes, is related to a Hebrew word meaning to engrave. As a matter of fact, you might circle the word statutes there. Or probably just write it since it's not there. And just write statutes and put engrave. So just like you would engrave something permanently, the statutes were to be written in their hearts. The word of God is unchangeable. It's engraved in our hearts. Moses was to teach them with God's laws. That word laws there. Anybody know what that word is in Hebrew? Come on, you got this one, right? Torah, the law. Here's that classic word, probably the only Hebrew most of us knows, the Torah. And and this means, listen, it means teaching. So the law means teaching, and specifically what God has taught. 
And then Moses is not only to teach them, but he's to cause them to know. He's to cause them to know God's laws. You see that in verse 16? And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And this to make know is, is that it's, it's to, to teach them how to apply the word of God so that their conduct and their lifestyle would lead to wise application of truth in their lives. Moses is to, to, to make them know how to, they're to live. Now let me ask you a question. Doesn't this sound like the Great Commission? Well, of course it does. You understand, Jesus is the fulfillment of Moses. Moses said that one is coming after me, a prophet like me, but greater than me. And Jesus says, I am that prophet. And so what does he command us before we leave, before he leaves earth? He points to each one of us and he says, go. I'm with you always. Go, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them all that I've commanded you. So Moses is a type for us. And we're going to see in a moment these able men that he chose are a type for us. This is our task today, dear ones, to understand God's statutes, understand his laws, and then to be taught well. Thank you for being here. To then apply it well. We're going to get to that in a moment. Thank you for going to home group. Thank you for making that effort. You must do it, but thanks for doing it. And then to actually live wisely so that God gets the glory. That's making a disciple. Matthew 28. That, that is our mission statement as a church. We exist so that with the gospel, we might make disciples. We, we want to we we build a community of Christ-centered people. Read. Jesus came as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. So when you're Christ-centered people, you're Word-centered people. When you're Word-centered people, you're God's statutes and God's law-centered people. Corey served us so well a couple of weeks ago. The law is grace to us. Thank you for that. Because Jesus is grace to us. And we must love it and apply it, be taught it, just work it every day. That's the main point of the message. That's the main point of the message. See, in the midst of this ministry or service to the people of God, that's where Jethro brings the correction. It's in the midst of this good ministry that Moses was doing. Jethro isn't saying stop the ministry. He says you've got to reconfigure the ministry, Jack. People are standing outside your tent all day and it's hot in the desert. You know, I don't think they had uh, Zephyr Hills water out there at the time, all right? I brought a little Zephyr Hills, anticipating no AC. That's good, you know. Want some? All right, but if you're standing outside of Moses' tent all day, there's no Zephyr Hills. You're hot. He's saying, this isn't working, Moses. Got a lot of people here, Moses. We need, to, we need to properly structure the church, Moses. And so what does he tell them? Well, bullet point two under, under uh, bullet point three, excuse me. Bullet three under point three. Moses is to choose these men who will become gifts to God's people, the gift of leaders to care for God's people. These men are to be capable, spiritual, honest, and loyal. And then Moses is supposed to place them over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. I think the new attitude folks understand this, right? 
Was it called the community group, guys? I think there was about 150 folks in the community group. And then each community group was broken down into family groups. Is that correct? How many in a family group? Ten? Okay. So there you go. The guys that are leading New Attitude have read their Bibles, okay? Hopefully they don't think they're Moses, but you never know. We're all a little delusional. Uh, but they're just breaking it down. Why? Because 150 people are going to have a hard time applying the word, aren't they? But 10 people can, can't they? I'm sure I could bring each one of you up here with the testimony of how you talked about the word in a group of 10 and they applied it. Sounds a lot like our home groups, doesn't it? That's why we do what we do. Now notice something. Look at verse 25, Exodus 18. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people. Okay? And they judged the people. And any hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided for themselves. Now let me ask you a question. What were these men like? What were these men like? Look at verse 21. Moreover, look for the able men, so they have to be able, they have to be skilled, from all the people, men who fear the Lord, men who are trustworthy, men who hate a bribe. Wow. What does that sound like to you? Jordan, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you off here, but I want you to show now 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 11, if you could. It's not in the order that I gave you, but if you can flash that up there. What does this sound like? Well, let's take a look. 1 Timothy 3, 1. This is New Testament. Thousands of years later. The saying is trustworthy. Paul is writing this now to the church. Timothy's the pastor. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Look at this. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Look at this. Not a lover of money. Hmm. He must manage his own household well and all diligently, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. That is the character qualifications of an elder at Palm Vista. I believe it's the character qualification of an elder in any church. But we would embrace this. Cor and I must, must meet these qualifications. And the day we don't, and it's a pattern in our lives, we will be removed. There is no tenure in God's kingdom. Either meet the standard or buy. And hopefully I will gladly step down because I fear God. But look, there's not just elders, but look at this verse 8 of 1 Timothy 3. Deacons likewise. When you read deacons, think of anybody that's leading a major ministry team or a home group leader. So Miguel this morning, all the home group leaders, major ministry team leaders, Jesus, I'm going to forget a lot of people, but just just think of these major ministry team leaders and home group leaders. Listen to their qualification. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. Look at this. Not greedy for dishonest gain. You see the pattern? They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So do you see the pattern, dear ones? Here it is. God is going to teach His people the Word of God. He's going to ordain men that will teach it 
diligently, and then he's going to ordain other men who will be able to apply it. Some will be over thousands, some over hundreds, fifties, tens. You get the idea. You get the idea. Now, here's where it goes nuclear. God is building the same thing today. And he's building it around his statutes, his laws, his word. And we today should be busy about hearing it and applying it. That's why your attendance on Sunday morning and Wednesday night and singles and youth and whatever other venues, special seminars, is so important. It does not earn you God's favor. You can never earn that on your own. Jesus earns you that. But, but, if he's called you sovereignly to himself, Ephesians 2, 1 to 9, then verse 10 of Ephesians 2, and you can jot that down, Ephesians 2, 10, then he's prepared for you good works to do. Those good works to do come as you hear the word and as you apply it into your life. Jesus even said that if you, when you bear much fruit, it brings glory to God. You will not bear fruit apart from this word. Satan wants to separate you from this word. And so the idea here is that the application, Jethro speaks to us, you know, like, 4,000 years later, we still have a Midianite priest who's recently saved speaking to us. And he's saying, guys, serve the Lord. And your first service is get into the Word, love the Word, read the Word privately, then come corporately, make it a priority, be done with the imperial kingdom of your own self that says, I come to church just to get what I need, thank you very much. And if I need to be gone for a while, I'm going to be gone for a while, thank you very much, because I'm the sovereign Lord of my kingdom. That's not Christianity. But you say, God, I'm under your word, which means every morning I wake up and read it. And I get a good commentary, new Bible commentary. <clears throat> and I try to understand it. And then it means I've got to go to church. So I hear the word preached, because even though he may not preach the greatest, and I don't, the gospel he preaches is equally great from the greatest preacher in America today to the worst. This is great. And I've got to come under it and hear it. And I've got to listen to it. Thank God for technology. Thank God for Wally and the guys that are serving us on the web team. I can actually download it onto my iPod and hear it again and again and again. And then I can't wait to go to home group on Wednesday night. I'm going to lean forward in my heart. I'm going to say, yeah, let's apply it. Hey, I'm not here just to get from you. I might not get warm fuzzies here. It could be kind of boring. I mean, none of our leaders are like world changers. I'm not a world changer. That's not the point. This is a world changer. God's a world changer. And buddy, the world he's, he's, he's about changing is yours first. So get under it. Get there. I'm going to pull back right now. Yeah, you know. Some of you know. He's getting ready to do something crazy, but he's not. Here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. It's not about you. It's about him and this and the church. We've got to apply the word in community. We've got to die to self and live to Christ. This is the kingdom. Anything other is a fraud, a fake, a poor, ugly fake. And that comes when we get together in community and apply it. Wow, what a testimony I had this week. I can't tell you who, but they called me 
And they said, Oh, Al, this and this happened in my life. And I was mad. And oh, Al, when I went to Homegrove, there were people there that loved me, that served me. I almost felt like I had hijacked the whole home group. It was all about me. But God met me, and God applied the word, and then there was an accountability group in addition to the home group. And oh, Al, God is getting through to me, and I'm applying this word, which sometimes takes some work to understand and apply, and it was through community. And oh, I, how I thank God for the community. And today, I think I'm worshiping the Lord. It's still tough. And I just, I just said, oh, buddy, let's just celebrate this moment that is what Ephesians 4 11 through 16 says you can read it here on the screen Ephesians 4 says this again Paul writing by the Holy Spirit thousands of years later and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry that's primarily through preaching the word for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain, look at the goal here, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's people that move from being little babies whose whole world is about them, feed me, make me happy, entertain me, to adults that say, how can I serve? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather, look at this, rather, speaking the truth in love. This is no longer the pastor just doing it. This is us doing it to one another. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, each part, each part, each part, each part, each part is working properly. My hand will not work well if you chopped it off and set it on that piano. It is not united with the body. Are you united with the body? Are you making it a priority to be united with the body? Are you a lone ranger, imperial self-Christian? And held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We cannot be who we are without you. We cannot be the full measure of the representation of Christ without you. Everyone has a job. Everyone has a ministry. Everyone has a purpose. This is what then Ephesians 5, 18 to, tw- uh, to 21 says. Again, you can jot these scriptures down. You can read them here on the screen. The first one is Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Second one, Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. Listen to this one. Great one. And do not get drunk with wine. You notice there's a lot of mention of getting drunk with wine. It's because they were drinking wine. Okay? He's just saying, just don't get drunk. All right? That encourages me. Hey, when you pick a guy as a leader, just make sure he's not getting drunk on wine. Thank you. That means there were some guys, you know. All right. Back off of that one. Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But rather be filled with the Spirit. Now look at 19. Addressing one another in psalms. Thank you, Miguel, for leading us this morning. We address one another in psalms. Real biblical. Excellent. And hymns. Thanks for leading us in hymns, guys. Worship team, ladies, all of you, men that were leading us. That's very biblical. Very biblical. And spiritual songs. Well, we'll talk about that later. But those are good. I was singing a few this morning. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of the reverence of Christ. This scripture ties all the stuff we're learning together. 
This is why we sing for 45 minutes on Sunday morning. Not because we're crazy. I'm not a good singer at all. I couldn't harmonize with anything. But God tells me, apply the word. Part of applying it is singing it. Coming ready with a song. Not to get blessed by good music, though we have that, and I'm thankful to God. But I'm to sing. I'm going to sing. I'm going to be expressive. I'm going to speak it to others. I need it this morning. And then finally, Colossians 3.16. been memorizing this at home, my son. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And look at this. What does it say there? Read it with me out loud. You ready? Let's start with the very beginning of this verse. Ready? One, two, three. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. Your job is to teach one another. We get the privilege of teaching you. It doesn't make us better than you, just a gift God gave us. May I always grow in it. But you're to teach others. Who are you teaching the word? Men, are you starting with your wives and children? You must. Ladies, are you teaching your children? Titus 2, would the older women be teaching the younger women? Are you eager to teach one another the word of God? Not arrogantly, but humbly. That is your job in this church that's why I love it when I hear the singles say hey dad my, my girls come home and say dad we went to lunch and, and it was cool some of the guys just let out and they said hey they, they were leading during lunch what do you think about the sermon today and they, we got the notes out and we're sitting at you know, Tony Roma's or you know, wherever Ruby Tuesdays and we're talking about the message that's not being super spiritual or weird that's being Christian and anything else is sub-Christian it's dumbed down Christianity don't be stupid. Be the Christian God wants you to be. Don't go for sub-Christianity. Just go, just teach the word to one another. Again, not self-righteously, not arrogantly. That's what Wednesday night is all about. So what does Moses teach us at the end of point three? Moses teaches us to diligently apply God's word. Application. Are you committed to diligent application of God's word in your life? Do you love God's word and joyfully read it? Attend Sunday mornings ready to hear it preached. Lean forward to go to Wednesday night home groups to apply it in community. And then you have three application questions there. Worship team, would you please join me? We're going to sing that song. You know the one I said. I forget the name of it now. You got, you got an extra minute. Well, church, I hope and I trust that this word has encouraged you. Singles, would you help us? You just came back from a new attitude where this was the theme, wasn't it? The word of God. So would you help us? Would you lead out? Would you help us to apply this message that we might praise God, we might worship God, we might sacrifice or serve God? And let's do it as a church. Let's pray. Bow your heads and we're going to conclude with this song. And let that be our benediction. Lord, we want to stand underneath your word. We're, the people, we're a people of your word. 
in chapter 19. Next week, we're going to see that you constitute your people through the giving of your law word. So, Lord, we are constituted a people not based upon man's confession or man's will, but by the will of God, the word of God, the confession of God. So may that word be resonant in my heart. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping the word in his heart. How can we honor you by keeping the word in our heart? Your word I love, Lord. Psalm 119, it nourishes me. I love your law and your statutes. May they be grace to us, Lord. Because we know that we have your favor not based on our obedience fully of it. Because we're never going to fully obey it. We're sinners. Our, our favor with you is based on Christ and his obedience of it. But oh, because of that, because we're out from underneath the slavery of trying to earn your favor through the law, we can now enjoy the law. It now has its right place in my life to instruct me and teach me and guard me and protect me and cause me to flourish and be fruitful for you, Father. So as we sing this song, Lord, let it be our confession back to you. Lord, we're going to do this by your grace. In Jesus' name.